1: welcome to this episode of That's What She Said. Today, we have my fucking coach, Bear Bear, which is amazing, so thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Uh, um, I invited you to talk with everyone just so we could have the experience of, one, I don't have to be your coach, just get a fucking coach, Um, and two, um, you've made me Um, realize that there are so many ways of thinking about things that I haven't necessarily been open to for very long. And so instead of pretending like, yes, I've already internalized this thing that Bear taught me three weeks ago, I'd be like, well, let's just hear it from you, and
2: that would be easier. That seems much
1: easier. (laughs) (laughs) Like, we'll just directly apply your knowledge to them, and then I just sort of step out of the way. I figure that's only fair.
2: Sounds good to me.
1: Cool. So one of the things that I wanted to talk the most about, um, one of the reasons I hired you was just the to talk about alternatives to just straight up like capitalism and the amount of money you make is the most important measure of your business and all of that like row marketing culture that um, frankly just about broke me about seven years ago. So I wanted to offer, but in the space of like, okay, if I don't do that, then there's this like vacuum of, well, then I'll just give it away or it'll just be a hobby or I'll just make like $4 and, um, and that's not really okay either because we need to eat. (laughs) Right. So if I'm starting a conversation about what are the alternatives to straight up capitalism, most of the people listening have businesses. Um, I assume we would start by talking about money, but where, where would you like to start with that big broad topic? Yeah, Um.
2: I guess that part of why I, mm, let's see, I guess where I want to start is sort of with the, like, a little bit of like an overview of sort of what capitalism does, or sort of how it functions. Um, And that sort of led me to like why I do things the way that I do them. Um. So in our, in a capitalist economy, everything has to continuously be growing. Um, when we look at like measures of of is the economy um, stable, that what they actually mean is, is it growing fast enough? Is it continuing to like expand? Are we making a higher profit margin all the time? And that if the profits like sort of um level off that that's unhealthy, right? Then the economy is doing badly. And it doesn't even have to be that the, econ- that like our profits are going down. Just being stable is seen as like not being healthy or not being enough. Um, and when I realized that that was sort of what, that's the way the world works. That's the way economies work. That is like a really stressful proposition for individuals to, especially individuals who are running our own businesses just to sort of live under right this idea that that in order for your business to be doing well it has to be continuously growing and scaling and like you always have to be earning more doing better um you know growing and at a certain point i realized like that just didn't sit right with me to you know sort of to the questions that I kept bumping up against were like, to what end? Like, what would I, what would I do right. with all of that money? <laughs> right? Like, why do I need to sell $6 million in courses next Tuesday? Why? <laughs> exactly. Like, why do, why does, why does my income goal need to go up every year? Like if my life hasn't changed, if I don't actually need more money, right? I don't suddenly, you know, have a kid to care for, have, you know, for, have some real tangible need for more money, why have I internalized this idea that I have to keep earning more? I have to keep growing in this particular way. Um, and I, I really think that that, that practice of sort of um, questioning the assumptions that we make about our businesses. is like the first step of how to step outside of capitalism. Um If you can start looking at, oh, well, this is what everybody says I should do. This is what and the sort of, um, you know, the, the big wigs and the, the gurus say that we, we ought to be doing in our businesses and start to, to really question, is that true for me? Is that really what I need? Um, because there isn't really a one size fits all answer, but capitalism wants us to think that there is and that that one size fits all answer is to just keep getting bigger all the time, keep growing, keep earning more. More, um, more, 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 more is the only answer. Yeah. But the only answer is, is, is to just keep doing more and that that's really depleting and it's really not sustainable for most of us and and it's not really fulfilling right like it doesn't that doesn't making more money doesn't make my heart happier it doesn't bring me more joy it doesn't you know functionally to a point having enough money can bring you more happiness right because it makes you less stressed out and less worried and whatever but um But after a certain point, having more money isn't necessarily adding anything, um, to my life. And so, I, I I would personally rather have like more afternoons to lay in the grass in the park than I would rather have, you know, 10,000 extra dollars in my bank account. Um. And that, that's, that's a really sort of radical proposition in the, the sort of like online business, you know, solopreneur, like all of that to say like, I'm not actually interested in making more money, um, is, is seen as really sort of, um, offensive.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, cause time is never considered as a currency. And so like, most people that are like, I make a bajillion million, bajillion dollars are so time poor that they're not sleeping. They're not eating. They're not having fun. They're not taking vacations when they are on vacation. They're still checking their email four times a day. Like I've seen right. those people, I've been around those people and it's like, you're so time poor and you don't even know. And they're like, what did you do last Tuesday afternoon? I'm like, well, <laughs> <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I had such a good time. <laughs> yep. And right. It has nothing to do with my business. So yeah, I think that's a, an important caveat to the, the just get more money and get more money and get more money is that, um,
2: time is usually what you pay for that. Yeah. And, and your health and your relationships and, you know, uh, community, your hobbies, like being a whole human being that has, you know, multifaceted interests. Um, those things go away. And I, I think. For a while, I really felt like I was failing at this at this thing of running a business. But th- at a, at a certain point, I realized I was like failing at something that I didn't actually care about, um, and that I could really just put that aside and go like, okay, this isn't actually my priority. This isn't what I'm trying to do. So then, so then what? You know, if this isn't what I'm trying to do, what is it that I'm trying to do instead? How is it that I actually want to be building my business in the world? You know, and. And how do I sort of look at the reality of the world as it is and, and, you know, look that in the face and still make choices that allow for me to thrive, but that aren't, um, centered around always getting more money as the kind of driving force.
1: Yeah. And what has been your, um, your answer to that so far?
2: Well, um, <laughs> it's, it's mostly been a decade of experiments. Um, and I, I I feel like I have to always say that I don't, um, I don't have the answers, you know. I can't say, Kristen, this is what you need to do for your business, or uh, anybody who's listening, like this is the specific thing that you, you know, should do, or that this will solve anyone, you know, all of anyone's problems. Oh no, um, and that's part of why I love you is that you're never like you will do this, then you will do this, then you will do this, right? Right. It's always about sort of looking at what is happening already in your business, what's working for you, and then being able to say, what are the things that could, where are the places that there's already friction and how might I be able to change that? You know? Um, so for me, I mean, my, my first business was as a yoga teacher and, uh, you know, I was sort of independently contracted. I rented a space to teach classes out of and, um, part of the original friction for me around being a yoga teacher was really feeling like this had become this sort of, you know, and even 10 years ago, this was true, that yoga had become this sort of bougie activity that was cost prohibitive for a lot of people that I cared about. Um, and so that friction of like, how do I make a living teaching yoga, but also, um, but also allow it to be accessible to the people in my community, um, and so for me, my first experiment was trying to to see could I make a living teaching yoga on a sliding scale and like not having um a set price for what the classes were, but just saying, you know, you can pay between five and $15 or whatever, zero and $15 for a period of time. It was zero and then I raised it to five. And um it was always just sort of this practice of, of iterating and trying things on and talking to my students about why I was doing things the way I was doing and seeing what happened, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, for me, teaching sliding scale gave me so much insight into the kind of psychology of trying to, uh, create anti capitalist, uh, economies inside of capitalism because Mm -hmm. it's really challenging. (laughs) You think, like, oh, I'll just have this sliding scale thing and then people will just generally pay in the middle of the sliding scale. Um, but it's, it's not how it actually turns out, turned out to work for me anyway. I, you know, I taught sliding scale yoga for almost 10 years. And, um, and what I found was that by and large people paid at the bottom end of the sliding scale because, um, everybody always has this mentality still of like, I don't have enough. Mm -hmm. Um, I ought to keep this for now. If I can pay less now, that means I'll have more later. So -hmm. let me pay less now. Um, but I also found that if I talked to my students about what I was doing and what was happening, that my average would go up, right? So if money was this thing that was scary and hidden and shameful and that I wasn't supposed to talk about and it was like, oh, just pay whatever, I don't care. Yeah, that's fine. Um that people generally paid the least, people paid the minimum. And this is, you know, some of my students really didn't have a lot of money and some of them had plenty of money. You know, I had doctors and lawyers and whoever, and it, it didn't, you know, it didn't average out. It wasn't it wasn't like, oh, generally people are paying, I'm getting about $10 a head. It was never that way. I was always sort of, you know, when it was five to 15, I would generally make about 650 per student. Um, so that means almost everybody's paying at the bottom. And that's really like a, a mentality thing Anyway, that's a, a digression. We can talk more about that and about but the kind of really scarcity. So just,
1: in case just in case you try out sliding scale, you're like, well, that was fucked,
2: <laughs> <laughs> right? Exactly. But I really found that when I talked to my students and when I email, you know, when I sent out, uh, wrote, write, I would write a blog post about what was happening and then send it out to my my email list and talk about it in class. You know, get up at the beginning of class and actually say, "Hey, I want to talk for a minute about money." And just spend five minutes explaining sort of what I just explained to you to people and ask people, you know, if you value this, consider that you may be paying less than, you know, than you could be and consider, could you pay more? And always, whenever I would have those conversations, the my per student, um, you know, payment would go up for a time, you know, it would go up for a few months until, you know, it's a drop in yoga class. So the students are different all the time. so. Um, It wouldn't stay that way forever, but whenever I would, I would be straightforward and be honest with my students about what was happening, it would change things. Um, which I think points to this, this real problem of that, like, we, we don't actually, most of us as consumers, like, don't know how to engage with anti-capitalist, um, practices inside a capitalist business, right? You're like, well, how am I supposed to, we're not well-equipped to make these choices, um, but when we can have honest conversations about it, it really allows people to um, to start to, to think about things differently and then to behave differently, right? To engage with the business differently. Um, yeah, and,
1: and giving mentality is so important to why you do it and how you do it. And um, we had a conversation um, early on about money, and it was horrible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> As they, they usually are, are. They're yeah, usually I are. I always Conversations about money and I Yeah, it was horrible no. um, And it was just like I feel like they're, like I'm always at like There's enough But there's never like Fuck yeah, I'm gonna go party on a yacht sometime Right Like everybody's narrative about money Is that there's never enough Like everybody feels broke all the time Regardless of yeah. whether they're below the poverty line or not Right um, Which is And so can you talk a little bit about that? So as we enter into money, you know, is like super feely, weird territory. There's something to be said about like, yeah, you have a million dollars in the bank. You still don't think there's enough. You have $3 in the bank. You don't feel like there's
2: enough. Right. Yeah. That part of how capitalism has sort of poisoned all our brains is that it makes everyone think that there's never enough because we always have to be getting more. Right. And if you always have to be getting more, the flip side of that is that there is never enough. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, and there's a study that I quote a lot from Boston College that interviewed people with $25 million in assets or more about, um, about just sort of their financial lives. And one of the questions that they asked them was, do you feel financially secure? Right. So these are like hyper rich people, people with the most money. Um, right. This that's, is like, that's a lot. Right. <laughs> this is like, I don't know if this is actually the 1%, but this is like people, they're, they're in the top 10, right? They're in the top 10%, 10% or whatever. Right. And, and these people with $25 million said, no, they do not feel financially secure. And then, which it was just mind boggling to me, right? But then the follow up question that they asked said, Okay. So if you don't feel financially secure, how much money would you need to have in order to feel financially secure? And then people would estimate what they would need. And it was on average about 20% more. And I just felt like that was so, there was so much truth in that, that sort of no matter, no matter how much money you have, you always feel like, I I don't feel like, Oh, I need to like double or quintuple my income in 40 seconds, right? I don't need to, um, I don't need to to have so (laughs) much more money but, Mm -hmm. but if I just had a little bit more, if I just had 20% more than I have now, Mm -hmm. that that would, that then I would feel okay. Right. That then I would feel secure. Then I would feel like, Oh, okay. Now I can rest. Now I can breathe. Now I have enough, but that, that 20% is sort of a dangling carrot. That's always running out in front of it. You know, we're always running along behind it. And it, we can never actually catch it because we get twenty percent more, and then we feel like, oh, we need twenty percent more than that, and now we need twenty percent more than that, and it's it's this sort of endless race.
1: Yeah, and it's scary um, to think that, like, okay, well, if I increase my income to twenty five million, that will still be like, mm, yeah, just a little bit more, just a little bit more, like, <laughs> right? Scary yeah. that 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 never ever ever goes away. Um, yeah. Been included yeah that's that's terrifying, so if or he, that
2: go ahead well, just that if if it doesn't go away, if the answer to the sense of like not having en- <clears throat> excuse me of not having enough isn't to get more money then then like what I start to go, okay, then what is the what is the answer how do we end up? how do we create that sense of scarcity how do we create that sense of security and get rid of that sense of scarcity um and you and I have talked about this a lot, but that it's, it's really so much about, it's an internal shift, right? It's not, it's not actually, for most of us, it's not about actually getting more money. It's really about changing how we feel on the inside about our money, about the money that we do have. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that in just a
1: second. The first I wanted to talk about, um, so you talked about sliding scale. That's an oh, alternative yeah. way. Um, yep, to, yep. People will pay on the low end of the sliding scale. So just makes the sliding scale the minimum and not zero is the big tip there. Um, one of the things that we have done Oops. together is introduce. Are you there? I'm here. I'm here and I can hear you. Can you hear me?
2: Yes, I can hear you now. It, you got weird. You got, you got weird. I don't know what happened. I'm sorry. I'm back. That's okay. You're back. <laughs> We're back.
1: Okay. okay. Um, One of the things that we introduced together um, was a super long-term payment plan. So if you get the money in four months, but you're willing to get the money in six, eight, 10, 12 months, it usually lowers the barrier to entry. Um, We talked about tips and gratitude. So for me, the podcast, there was something about the podcast that was like, I don't just want to do this for free until the end of time and run myself into the ground with no chance of a monetary payback of any kind. That right. felt wrong after a couple of years. Um, yep. so tips and gratitude. Great. Fantastic. If you make a thing on a regular basis, that's, that's a good way to do it. Um, we talked about scholarships. Um, yeah. We had a really cool rant slash thought, <laughs> thought fest about scholarships. Um, so I'd love to, for you to take the mic on that one.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, tell me if this is what, tell me if this is the the particular rant that I was on that day because I, (laughs) because I I have a lot to say about that. But I I think that, um, scholarships can be really useful and they can also be really tricky. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I think often there's, there's this sense, uh, from business owners, if you're operating from a place of like, I, I feel obliged to offer this scholarship, um, but it's really sort of, it feels, it feels on some level like a strain. Um, that that can put some, some, you know, weird energy around scholarships. And I think the, the opposite is also true. Like, if you feel like, Oh, I, I am offering this scholarship from this place of like, uh, you know, benevolence up here on my high horse or whatever, that that also creates some weirdness around scholarships. Um, And that we can really look at scholarships as, as being sort of a form of, um, of, of creating, uh, of creating access. And that it doesn't have to be, uh, it doesn't have to be like a personal favor that you're doing to the person, you're doing for the person who is going to receive the scholarship, but that, um, that it can really just be, here, here's another, here's another option, you know, here's, this is business as usual. Some people have less money. So here's, and, and that's just like factual and we're just like dealing with that, that fact. And so here's a way for you to like get involved if you're not able to pay right now. Um And then we don't have to treat it as, as this sort of um active charity that we're doing to these like poor people. um, And instead can really be just like, Oh yeah, this is, this is just, this is just how we do things here. This is just business as usual. Yeah, so
1: it doesn't have to be pity or shame attached
2: to it. Yeah. 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 And I think that that's true for, uh, for all of these options, right? That, um, particularly the, the super long-term payment plans. I've been offering those for a lot of years, for basically as long as I've been coaching, I've had these sort of long-term payment plans. And I think the the thing to note there is that it's, um, it is, uh, the payment plan extends beyond the length of the work, right? So if I'm working with someone for six months, they can pay me actually for up to 18 months. Um, so the work will happen in six months and they'll keep paying me for a whole year after that. Um, and part of how I do that is, you know, the, the actual, like, um, financial logistics of that or that thank god for automated invoicing systems and all of them have it now right if you use paypal or stripe or square wave or whatever you use they all have the option for kind of like a subscription um, Mm -hmm. or an uh, automated recurring invoice and so it's super easy because you set up the invoice one time and then it just sends the invoice you know repeatedly month after month and so it's not actually any more administrative work for me to send those out um than it would be for me to send a single invoice for a single payment if somebody was going to pay me all up front in one lump sum. Mm-hmm. Um but I think the thing that really has been so helpful for people is for me to, when I offer people a long-term payment plan, that now I give this whole little spiel about it um, where I say, and I just want you to know, <laughs> something like this, right? I just want you to know if you take this long-term payment plan, that it actually helps out my business for you to do that. And so um, you know, it's actually as a solo business person, Getting you know a lump sum of money and then no money for a while and then a lump sum of money and then no money for a while is actually not that um, not that awesome.
0: <laughs> and it's actually
2: really, it's actually really great for me to be able to look at my you know revenue spreadsheets and and go okay I know that in July of this year I have X number of dollars coming in on these payment plans and I can actually I looked at my spreadsheets day before yesterday I think and I I, I saw that I have payments coming in through like basically through March of next year. Um, and that makes me feel that makes me feel so secure to know that many months in the future, I have income already on the books already coming in. And so I offer these payment plans, not as a favor to you and not because I feel sorry for you or, you know, I don't want you to feel any guilt or shame around this. It's win-win for both of us. It makes it accessible for you to do the work and it makes it, um, it, it helps to stabilize my income in my business. And so, you know, it just, just know that if you take this, it's not because, uh, it's not because I'm some, you know, um, it's not an act of charity, right? It's just like, this is just a, another way that we can do business together. Um, and I, I can't tell you how many times I give that little spiel to people and, and clients just go like, Oh my God, thank you for saying that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because there's, there's so much sort of, um, Bullshit that gets put on people where it's like, oh, if you, if you need a payment plan, it costs extra. If you need a mm-hmm. payment plan, you know, and there, yeah. there's all these sort of, um, ways that we penalize people for being, uh, you know, less financially secure, or having less, you know, less cash flow. And it's, it's, it's really, um, it's, it's really bogus.
1: Yeah. It's always kind of assumed that one payment is better, but that's not feasible for a lot of people. And especially with things that cost more than, you know, 20 bucks. Um, yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it just isn't, just isn't reasonable to expect that. So that's a really easy way to do it. Um, and people that, for people wondering about the super long term payment plans, and Bear was like, um, I don't think anyone has ever stiffed you. Like, they just coach and then they're like, fuck it, I canceled that shit. I'm never paying you again. No, never. That's never happened. And I've also never had that. So I will provide services, um, and, or have you come to a workshop and you're still paying me six to ten months later and no one has ever. Cancelled. I mean, people's credit cards expire and they have to change them, but that's not, that's not at all. Right. So, um, nope. in case you were scared of that when you're listening, that is a hundred percent like take it and you don't have to do a year. Um, but even taking a big lump and making it four or six payments is a huge deal to people.
2: Yep. Yeah. Um, and I, I really advocate for people not charging extra for payment plans. And I know that that, that goes like totally against the grain of the kind of common business. Um, advice, but I just think, like, if you can, you know, people go, well, what about the extra administrative work or what about the extra risk or whatever? For one thing, it's not really that much more administrative work. It is a marginal fee difference. Like, I think it's 3% instead of 2.5% on the credit card processing fees to do a recurring payment. Um, but I really think just bump your, just bump your prices up a little bit instead of charging the, the people who can't afford to pay all at once an extra 10 percent just bump your price up five percent and spread that out over everybody and then you know and then it's sort of like you're you're robin hooding a little bit where it's like okay the people who can pay uh the people who can pay all at once get get to sort of subsidize the the risk that you're taking on the people who can't um and it, it just seems to to me that's like such a statement that you understand it signals to your clients that you understand that like money stuff sucks and they shouldn't be penalized for not having the money to pay it all up front.
1: Yeah, no, it's really beautiful when it works out that way. And then the other thing about scholarships was that you can have people pay for scholarships for other people that it doesn't, Oh yeah. A hundred percent just like, well, I'm just giving this away from my heart of hearts and no one's paying me and it's fine. Um, the way that I chose to do that was to have breathwork be, typically classes are $22, and so a scholarship is $11, and you can buy one, and then I will just give it to people who need it, or say they need it. All you have to do is tell me you need it, you don't have to fill out like
2: 27 pages of paperwork,
1: <laughs> and then, and then,
2: right. yeah. Yeah, I think that that idea of sponsorships is a really useful, um, a useful way to let your, um, to sort of like let your clients, uh, rectify some of the income disparities amongst themselves right if you give people the opportunity to pay more to say yeah i can pay you know mine plus 50 percent of somebody else's um you know and and there may not be that many clients who will do that or that many students who will who will take you up on that but man the ones who do when it happens god it just feels so good
0: you know whenever somebody's
2: like i'm paying for a a scholarship for somebody else um, as a business owner, that feels so good to me whenever things like that happen where somebody's somebody agrees to sort of pay it forward. Um, but that's that's so it's so heartening. Um because I think it it affirms that like there is space for generosity and not everybody is sort of uh, you know, tight fisted and, and trying to always hoard all we have for ourselves. So it's it's exciting.
1: Yeah, it also, it basically just builds in like your faith in humanity is restored every time that happens.
2: (laughs) Which is a nice bonus. Yeah. (laughs) It's a totally, it's a totally nice bonus. And I I think that's so much of, so much of why I care about this stuff is because it's so disheartening to sort of look around the world and, and go like, God, everything is so fucked up because of money, you know, because of the ways we engage around money that like that is just like screwing us up so badly. And to have those moments that feel like, oh, wow, this is a moment where I get to like see us doing things differently. Um, And that's like the, to me, that's the best part of running my own business is that I get to sort of. I'm in charge, I get to make the rules. I get to say, this is how I wish the world was and I can make it that way just for a minute, just like right here for a second in my own business with the people that I love and care about, the people that I work with, um, that we like have the opportunity to create these moments that feel like liberated moments where we are not sort of under the the grip of capitalism in the same way that we are in our daily lives. And it's really beautiful.
1: It really, really is. I love it so much. Um. So I have two more written down. One is pay what you can. Great. Do you have anything yep. to do with
2: that? Yeah, I think that, um, pay what you can is tricky in the same way that sliding scale can be tricky, um, because people don't know what they can pay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they might need some guidance on that. Um, you know, I, a really interesting thing is that at the, the, uh, space that I taught yoga at forever, at some point we, we sort of uh, raised the bottom of the sliding scale from five to 15 and it went all the way up to, to from five to 15 to 10 to 20 sliding scale
1: mm-hmm.
2: Um and it was amazing because um suddenly my like my average payments went from like seven dollars ahead to eleven dollars ahead mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> which was hysterical to me because I was like oh right everybody still feels like they can only pay a little bit above the bottom even uh-huh. though the bottom is now many dollars more than it used to be so all those people that were paying eleven dollars now ostensibly could have been paying eleven dollars all along right because they're still coming to class but it's really about a mentality thing anyway so pay what you can i think raises the same questions um but if you tell people you know if you if you're gonna if you're gonna try to offer that i think um giving people some guidance about what pay pay what you can might look like. And, you know, if you're going to be on the bottom end of the scale or, or, you know, if you need to pay less, like, consider these things. And, and that might be, you know, your income, the debt you carry, the number of dependents you have, you know, family access to family wealth, like all of these kinds of, you know, are you a student? Are you an artist? Are you an activist? Are you like, you know, all these, there's all these different sort of, um, criteria. So it's not a, a sort of, there's no clean formula for how, um, for how people should pay, but giving people some guidelines and, and sort of helping people make those choices, um, I think is can really help uh, feel like it is you're having more success with those things and not just having everybody pay at the bottom.
1: Awesome. And then the last yeah. one, uh which is the only one I rejected wholesale was barter. Yeah. Like, Can you do barter? And I was like, I have clients in 20 states and six great <laughs> So like, we can't just swap our farm share for some services here. Right. Uh,
2: yeah, barter has been a really good one for me, uh, especially as a yoga teacher, because all of my students were local. And so I have successfully traded for, let me think, massage, um, haircuts. That was a really great one. Um, I've traded for photography, like having a professional photographer come and take pictures of me teaching mm-hmm. in exchange for yoga classes, um, for web design, uh, yeah, for a farm share, for like a CSA share. Um, there's probably some other things, but those are, those are the ones that, that I have traded for. And for me, part of what's necessary if you're going to barter is that I don't want to, I only want to barter for things that I might already pay for. Um, I don't really want to barter for, you know, if I'm not interested in acupuncture, say, I don't really want to barter for acupuncture services because that's not something I care about or would use. Um, mm-hmm. And then the exchange doesn't feel reciprocal. Um, so if you're going to try barter, you have to really pick things that feel like um, are of use to you in the same way that other people, um, you know, that that what you're giving to the other person is also useful to them. Um and I think there's lots of different ways to do it. I've done sort of hour for hour trade with people where, you know, for web design, uh, you know, my person who did my my web sti- website stuff on my first website, um, she just sort of tracked her hours. And then the number of hours that she worked was the number of, you know, hours she could come to yoga for. Um, and And we just sort of did that hour for hour trade. And then for some things, it makes more sense to sort of set a rate. And say, okay, I'm, I'm giving you $400 worth of services and you're going to give me $400 worth of services. And we'll, we'll just sort of see what that, you know, how that shakes down. Um, but I think there are lots of ways to make that work and it doesn't work. None of these are going to work for, for everyone. And that's, I mean, I think that's so much of what we've talked about is that there aren't any one size fits all strategies, but any of these things could be useful for someone as, you know, as an alternative here or there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that you don't have to take things on as, you know, as, as sort of, uh, if you do barter for, you know, for instance, I, I would do barter for my drop-in yoga classes, but I might not do barter for private yoga because that feels like more output for me, more work for me. And there's very little that felt like it was a fair trade for the, the emotional and, and physical energy that I was expending to like do private yoga, yoga sessions with people. Mm-hmm. Um. And that you can make those choices for yourself. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to feel obliged just because someone asks or just because, because you do it for one thing, you don't have to do it for something else. You know, you can offer scholarships for one program and not for something else and that's okay.
1: Yeah. Can be really beautiful. So to recap them, just in case you were keeping track, we talked about super long payment plans, having a tip jar, gratitude place to donate, um, bartering, scholarships, sponsorships. Uh, pay what you can and sliding scale. So those are six very concrete alternatives to capitalism that you can start in any way that you would like. Yep. And then, um, I want to talk about uh, internal stability and security. Um, but I want to transition with your website was literally bear teaches yoga. Yep. And then you were like, yeah, I'm not doing yoga. <laughs> yeah. Um, so talk to me about, Obviously you have income streams, like that is how you literally make your living for a number of years. And then very recently you're like, Yep, blowing it up, that's not happening anymore. <laughs> Talk to me a little bit about that and a little bit about sort of um how you feel safe and secure and stable in the world with regards to income, having just done that.
2: Yeah. Um yeah, so I taught yoga for a long time and then, uh, in October I decided that I did not want to teach yoga anymore because of cultural appropriation and a whole bunch of other things. Um, and, you know, the relationship to money and, and, and that decision for me is a, feels like a really complex one. Um, you know, I've been, so I was, I've been teaching yoga since 2009. I've been coaching for the last five years-ish. Um, It'll be five years this summer anyway. And, uh, and so, you know, over time, for a long time, sort of yoga was my primary income stream. And then at a certain point, yoga and coaching sort of became more, um, more matched where I was making about as much money from, from one as the other. Um, and then last year was the first year that, that things in 2018, things at the studio just sort of started to change. The neighborhood had changed gentrification fewer people like actually living there lots of airbnbs um things had just sort of shifted in the neighborhood where i taught and um and also at the same time my coaching business had really taken off and so last year was the first year that i was making more money from coaching than i was from teaching um from teaching yoga and it really started to To bring up a lot of questions for me about why I was still teaching, why I was still teaching if, um, if I had all these sort of ethical qualms about doing it, which I had had for a long time. Um, you know, once I stopped making as much money from it, it it started to seem like, oh God, this, maybe this isn't really, um, maybe this isn't really the thing that I need to be doing after all. Um, which was a really sort of brutal moment for me to realize that I had been willing to do something that I felt sort of ethically dubious about because it was how I was making my money. Um And it, it really made me uh, question a lot of the judgments that I have about other people who have um what I think of as sort of uh, ethically dubious careers, right? Like, um, I don't know what like uh field geologist for petrochemical companies or something where I just sort of go like, Oh God, how do you even do that? How do you sleep at night? You know? Right. But I, but I had been willing to, you know, I had been willing to do, of course, these are not the same things. Right. But like, um, but that I had been willing to sort of make choices for myself because of money, um, that I did not actually feel like morally sound about, um, and just what a relief it was to be able to sort of put that down and, and go, okay, yeah, this isn't, this isn't the thing for me anymore. And how fucked up is that, that we're so motivated by our own financials, you know, our own sense of financial security that, that that's the, that for, for so many of us, that's the, um, that's the deciding factor, you know? <laughs> Do I need to keep doing this thing I don't really like anymore, or don't really feel good about anymore because of the money? Um, and how, yeah, how, how stuck we can feel in, inside of that. Um, yeah, I don't know if that, does that, I'm not sure if I answered your question. It mostly
1: answers the question. Um, but that sense, so that sense that, um, people have when they begin to do like, this thing is a risk and what if it all goes belly up and oh my God, I just need to save three years worth of, uh, my salary before I can begin the next step. And then it becomes five and then six and then it's never gonna happen. Um right. shifting the lens from how much money is coming in from X to internal stability and security. Um, there were a couple of things um that you had said that were just brilliant that were like, let's remember some things about you as a human that are not gonna change and that are right. going through. Um the first, I wrote them down in quotes, because I was like,
2: these are so brilliant. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, The first one was just saying, like, I have so many monetizable skills.
2: Yep. Yep. Yeah. So I think that there's, there's a sense often of of sort of like infinite doom, if we take a financial risk, Mm -hmm. um, the the inevitable doom that like, everything is going to come crashing down, right. And so when I quit teaching yoga, my income did like, it, it did decrease. I was making money from teaching and then suddenly I wasn't anymore. Um, and that sense of like, oh my God, now what is really, can be really overwhelming. But, but remembering that like, oh yeah, I'm, I was a yoga teacher. I'm a coach. Uh, and also I've had like a million other jobs, you know, like those are not the only two things that I've ever done. And, and just reminding myself that I have a ton of monetizable skills and, You know, and of course, all of this comes with the caveat that, like, I am young, relatively young, right? Uh, I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm, uh, childless. I am relatively able-bodied and, and, you know, and come from, from, you know, I have white privilege. I come from a working class, I'm kind of working poor background, but, but, you know, have, have some degree of, of, uh, privilege that I'm, I'm approaching all of this with. So caveat, big, big, you know, Mm -hmm. asterisk on the side. That's true. Um, but I think that that's true for a lot of us. And we still sort of move through the world feeling like, oh, my God, the bottom's about to fall out at any moment. Um, and that's just not actually true for most of us. Um, so for me, re- remembering all the monetizable skills that I have. And so, uh, I, you know, there's there's like a tinge of of sort of shame in it. But it's true that, like, since I quit teaching yoga, what I've been doing to to help pay the bills is I've been babysitting once a week. Um, I've been, um I went, uh, you know, I live in New Orleans. We have a huge Mardi Gras scene here that happens for many weeks. And I like went out and painted faces a bunch during Mardi Gras because that because I'm a visual artist and I have that skill. Right. And so, and I, and I made, you know, I made money doing those things to be able to sort of make ends meet for a time. And, you know, I'm not having to do as much of that at this moment, but for, you know, four or five months, that's what I was doing to sort of, uh, to make things happen. And I I think that the, yeah, you go. (laughs) The next one I'm scrappy
1: as fuck. And if I need money, I know how to get it.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Right. That It's like, I I have lots of monetizable skills and I know how to get the money. And I I think I told you this story about being, um, you know, my, my, before I was self-employed, I was a waitress for my whole, all of my twenties basically, uh, including overlapping with the time that I was teaching yoga. And the thing about waitressing is that um, there's sort of this infinite font of money and it's really different than working at a salary job where you work 40 hours a week and you get X number of dollars. And that doesn't, that, um, that ratio doesn't change, right? Where when you wait tables, you work more and then you make more money um, and And it really started to shift when I realized that, that I was like stressing out about money, but I didn't necessarily need to because, you know, say my car broke down and then suddenly I have a $700 transmission repair that needs to get done. Uh Oh my God, I can panic about the money or I can just call everybody on the, you know, on the the work roster and say, hey, can I pick up any of your shifts this week? Hey, can I pick up any of your shifts this week? Mm-hmm. And then go in and work doubles for 10 days. And then boom, there's an extra $700. And, you know, I'm really tired, but the money is there. And I don't have to, you know, there isn't, um, there isn't this sort of like apocalypse, there isn't this financial apocalypse. And I think that that's true for for so many of us in ways that we, you know, we think like, Oh my God, this means doom. But what it really just means is like some discomfort or like more work than normal, or you might have to ask somebody for help or whatever. Right. And it doesn't necessarily mean um, everything is, is falling apart. Yes. But that's
1: asshole brain is ready to go ahead and say that it sure is. is. Sure <laughs> is.
2: Sure um, is.
1: I have a body. I have a mind. I have skills. I can really help people.
2: Yeah. I, you know, I do. And so do you. And so does, you know, probably most people listening to this also have all of those things and (laughs) (laughs) um, right. right? And it's, it's, um, I think that there's, there's a sense that like, if, if we, if things don't go exactly the way that we thought they should, or if, you know, if you're not making money the way that you have been, that, that it's some kind of failure, but it's, it's really not, you know, it's really, it's like, it's been so weird and and pleasurable for me to be like babysitting a cute kid once a week. Like, that's not a thing that I've done in a really long time, but like the money was there and the kid was there and they're my friends and I'm able to help them out. And like, it, it feels kind of good to just like do something different. And I don't know when I let go of the ideas that I have about, uh, what are appropriate ways for a 35 year old to be making money? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, when right. I put that down, da- when I put that down, I go like, oh, this is as good as any other way, you know? <laughs> right. There's no better way. Right.
1: Um, and the last one that I wanted to share was there's plenty of space to make it work in a way that actually works for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think, uh I think about, you know, I, I've, I've been in situations before where I felt like, oh my God, like, if I can't, I I need this money, and I don't know where the money is going to come from. And if I don't get this money, everything is ruined, you know, and what it but what it actually means, if you sort of actually follow that out to its logical conclusion, for most of us, like everything is ruined means I'm going to have to work a lot more or, and I, I often have my coaching clients sort of go through this mental exercise of like, what would happen if you couldn't pay your rent, for instance, what would happen if you know, April 1st rolls around and you don't have the money to pay your rent, what would you do then, you know? Mm-hmm. Or it's the week before your rent is due and you don't have the money, what would you do, right? And it's and so we really sort of go through this exercise of like thinking about where are all the places that you could get money from, <laughs> right? Because mm-hmm. maybe you don't wait tables and maybe there isn't that sort of infinite font of money in that uh, easily available way. But for most of us, we could uh, pick up a gig, we could babysit for, you know, our friend's kids, uh, we could like, uh, return all the shit to Amazon that we've been uh, putting off <laughs> returning for like, t- you know, three weeks or whatever we could, um, we could call a friend and ask for a loan. We could, um, for many people, they could call their parents and say, Hey, can you spot me 500 bucks or, you know, however much money mm-hmm. you need? Um. That there just are so many options and, and we we get sort of stuck in this thinking of like if I can't do it myself, if I can't do it in the way that I have been doing it, that that it's not going to happen at all. But often the thing that we're afraid of is not actually financial ruin. It's like a loss of independence or like a loss of pride or something. And that that's not fatal. You know, that's not like that's not killing anyone to have to like ask for help or to have to do something different than what you normally do. Right. Like the shame of selling something on eBay will not kill you. Exactly. <laughs> and it, and in fact, you know, it's like a really sort of like it's it's such a like bougie and classist thing to feel all of that shame. And I, I really encourage us all to sort of like investigate that a little more deeply, because for so many people, that's just real life. You know, it's not mm-hmm. like it, it, that's that's just how things actually are, because there are people who are in actual dire financial straits. Um and that's not most of us, you know, it's yeah, really no, not there's
1: privilege in being able to pick your work and not like, well, there's one factory in the whole town. And if you don't work there, then that's it.
2: Right. Right. Or like, you know, a, a friend and I were talking about like the concept of being broke and she was saying, you know, her friend with a trust fund was saying like, oh, I feel sort of, I, I've been feeling really broke lately. And what she meant was like, I, my business hasn't been doing that well lately and my friend, my friend was who doesn't have a trust fund was like, you know, and when I say I'm broke, I mean, like, I can't buy kitty litter and I've been eating beans all week, you know, like right, That means, like, there's the just, is
1: overdrawn. Yeah,
2: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that there are like different and and that, you know, even being able to say that. It's like somebody else's version of broke is like I'm living in my car or I'm on the street, you know. And so just remembering the sort of relativity of of our own financial um, experiences, which doesn't mean that the stress isn't real, but it does mean that like we maybe sometimes uh trumpet up or it, it gets sort of outsized relative to reality.
1: Yeah, that's completely fair. Um, I do. Um. I think one of the reasons this is part three, hire the fuck out of bear just in case <laughs> you following along. Um, One of the reasons I hired you was that you were very clear about like, this is countercultural. this doesn't work, that doesn't work. And let's find some things that work for you, but you weren't prescriptive and I'm going to put you through my formula and then you're going to come out the other side. Fucking perfect. Uh, I enjoy that so much. And so tell us uh where, where we can find you, where we can hire you, where we can engage with you, anything that you want to share, hit it.
2: Yes. Um, yeah, I really think uh, just to to say there are no formulas, there are no like one size fits all answers, but there are, there's so much space for experimentation and so much space for stepping outside of the way that capitalism, um, makes us feel like we have to, you know, stay inside these boxes. And I just, I really, um, my own business is proof that that's not true, and yours is now proof of that too, so it's pretty fucking cool. It is. <laughs> it is. Um, so if people are interested in learning more about me and what I do, um, my website is no longer Bear Teaches Yoga, it is now BearCoaches.com. Um, and, uh, and you can find information about countercultural life coaching, which is the thing that I've been doing for a long time, and now, uh, this more recent offering of, of sort of anti-capitalist business consulting, Um, and, uh, and I'm there and I'm taking new clients on in that. Um, so bearcoaches.com. Um, I'm also on Instagram, uh, at bear a bear, which is H E B E R T because I'm Cajun from South Louisiana. It's French. Um, maybe this, this will be in the show notes or something, right? How to spell my name. <laughs> yes, we'll do um, it.
1: We'll do it. I will right?
2: link directly to it. And
1: yeah, cause I just pronounced it Hebert for a long time. And then I, right. asked, I was like, Oh, not that at all. Right.
2: It's not that at all. Yeah. <laughs> you're not the only one. Um, yeah, but basically I, I spend a lot of time on Instagram and, and I'm on my website. You can sign up for my newsletter. Um, and I stay in touch that way. That's, that's pretty much what I've got going on these days.
1: Yeah. Uh, is there anything else that, um, you want to say or any thought that you didn't get to finish or any, like, wise, wise wisdom that's coming to you at this very moment?
2: Gosh, I have, like, so many
1: more thoughts. Um,
2: yeah, I, I, I think that I just want to say about that, like, internal security that, like, it really can come from inside and the, the sense of, of having enough and, and that that's not, um, that's not just like oh you have to have an abundance mentality or an abundance mindset which i just roll my eyes and gag a little bit whenever i hear those sort of like law of attraction manifest your wealth kind of people talking i just don't i don't buy into that and at the same time i do think that there is a a way to sort of um change how we choose to engage with the financial systems that we're we're sort of um part- have to participate in um for better or worse and and that we really can change our, like, daily life experience of that, uh, without having to actually change your financial situation that much.
1: Yeah. Let's see. That's, that's why I love the bear. There are two bears <laughs> in my life. currently. There's Coach Bear and Lover Bear. This is Coach <laughs> bear, but I love bear. But, um, yeah. Thank you so much, everybody. Um, please, please, please go and check out, um, Bear, a bear, and all of the wonderful goodness that they offer. And, um, I will see everybody next week.